The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, number 184 for Monday, January 5th, 2009. <laughs> Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab. I uh, am Dave Hamilton. He, uh, I am. John Braun. Yeah, we're, we're kind of doing a, 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 we apologize, you know, Dave and I are here in front of one mic. We don't apologize for that. No, we won't apologize. But huh. you may hear a little thumps and all that. We'll, we'll try to reduce that because we're on one mic and we're going to kind of rotate it in the direction of the person uh, who wants to talk. Uh, hopefully we won't get into a fist fight over. <laughs> it, it's fight for the mic night, right? Mm-hmm. Isn't that, isn't that the, uh, the thing? But uh, what we did do this time that we didn't do the last time uh, that we did this is we did a sound check and listened back and made sure that the noise gate is not on. Uh, it's not set low. It's not set high. It's not set at all. It's totally yeah. out of the mix. And I think that's, uh, that's something everyone will that, – that, that's an idea we can all cherish. Mm-hmm. Well, based on that last uh, – you know, when we did it, uh, the podcast expo that – the, the people that listen through the whole thing, it was painful. We agree. So, yeah. yes, I, I was sure to remind Dave to make sure he set everything up right. Yeah, so, so this show actually will be converted to AAC and I think is the first Macworld uh, recorded podcast that will be because uh, wow. Michael Johnston's here. The poor guy's actually been sick. He uh, had the, the flu, I think. But, uh, but, but Brent uh, recorded uh, – no, not recorded – converted uh, the last one for us and it went great. And he's going to uh, convert this one and hopefully the ones that we do tomorrow and Thursday um, as, long as, uh, as long as there are no technical difficulties in actually getting the recordings from us to you all. Uh, okay, so we're we're here. We've got. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what we're going to do here for the show. We've got a lot of things queued up. Uh, we've mm-hmm. been down to the show floor. We've seen, or not to the show floor necessarily, but uh, to the Moscone. We've uh, been checked into the hotel, and we've just got some uh, almost a, a extension to not our travel podcast, but just sort of you know here we are at MacWorld and and let's go. So John, you've got some stuff to talk about. Go. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so. Um First thing I noticed, so we, we got to the Hotel Milano here, excellent hotel, got good Wi-Fi, all that. But, um, you know, I'm afraid some of you folks didn't listen when we gave you some travel tips here. Um, can, can we go to your desktop for a sec here, Dave? I won't embarrass anybody, but um, right now we're looking on the uh, network, uh, the hotel network, and looking under the shared tab, which is not necessarily um, always active. I, I think if you go to file, preferences, under fi- or I'm sorry, no, Finder, Preferences, I believe that's where you specify, yes. And then Sidebar, um, if you say Connected Servers and Bonjour Computers. So we are seeing one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven people that I believe are inadvertently. And, and I'm sad to say that some were actually uh, staff members. Well, but between file sharing, iPhoto sharing, and iTunes sharing, I, I was having a grand old time. <laughs> <laughs> keeping our staff uh, uh, security conscious. So anyways, um, again, unless you intend to share on a hotel network or, or even, you know, the, the Moscone network, because uh, I guess they do have Wi-Fi there, it, it, it just, yeah, don't. I, I have something I'll, I'll add to that. Um, I do share my iTunes connection or my iTunes library at home, and we use it quite a bit around the house. So 
when I travel, I know that unless I remember to turn it off, it's going to be on. So even though the only place I use it is at my house uh, where I don't care who accesses it because if anybody's on the network, they've already authenticated to the point where I can trust them. I always put a password on my iTunes library at home. And that way, when I get here and I forget, and John has to remind me to turn off my iTunes sharing, even though John can see my, my library because he knows the password and it's saved on his computer, the rest of the world can't. So it, it, you know, it's that one level of security of, okay, yeah, I forgot to do it. All really people saw was my name and okay, you know, that's just not that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. But anyways, no. So I'm convinced. I don't want to be too uh, too rough with with our listeners here. So I'm, conv- I'm I'm convinced it's it's an oversight that you don't think about when you have your, yourself hooked up to a home network and when you travel. So again, just you know, put it on your checklist. Just make sure that um, unless you intend to share your files or your music or your uh, photos, that you don't. And I guess that's uh, so. That's that's one one tip we just want to reiterate because uh, again, it was kind of uh, interesting to see what showed up in the uh, the shared. Uh, portion of the sidebar. But then I'm going to mention a few things. So I actually managed to get one photo gallery. Now, we, we are going to link to it on the site. I, I did send it out to uh, my loyal followers. Um, uh, so it was, a, it was about 20 pictures um, of, of what I saw. Now, again, as Dave mentioned, the show floor is not open yet, but there are still some things to see, and I think it gives a hint of the uh, the quality of the show and just um, you know what, what, what you can expect. <clears throat> so probably the most interesting thing, I would say, is um, the fabled covered banners were there. Um, some in the, the rear of the you know the floor you come in, uh, some towards the front. It looks like there was two uh, different sizes. So I, I would almost, based on this, guarantee there will be one, if not two, new product announcements. That, that's my uh, speculation. So, um, you know, Keep, uh, stay tuned because, you know, we are, as, as you know, but if you don't, we are going to be doing live coverage with text. We're going to have a couple people blogging and then I'm going to be and pray, pray to the um, <laughs> to the EVDO gods because um, you already got one one kernel panic screen there. Uh, we will do our best to get the text to you. We'll, we'll you know, we'll have a backup plan. We'll have backup computers and all that. But we want to get you text and pictures of what's happening at the keynote. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about that a little bit. We um, and we have a full uh, dress rehearsal, if you will, uh, after John and I record this podcast. But, you know, we like to be prepared. So John and I did our own uh, little testing here. I plugged an EVDO uh, Sprint EVDO USB uh, card into my MacBook Pro and then shared that uh, using connection sharing over airport. Now, of course, I have to put a password on it because I'm going to be in the room with the keynote tomorrow morning and, and I can't let the world uh, use my EVDO connection. But uh, but we did it and John was able to, using a cool folder action that Stephen Swift created for us, he, uh, he was able to take pictures off his camera, dump them into this thing, it automatically uploads them and bam, they appear on the, uh, on the live site. And that'll be at live.macobserver.com um, starting... I guess about 7.30 a.m. Pacific, so that's 10.30 a.m. Eastern tomorrow. And, and then, of course, the actual keynote is at noon Eastern or 9 a.m. Pacific. So, go ahead. Okay, some other things that I saw when I came into the, uh, to the Moscone Center. Um, they are just starting to set this up. Well, it, when you come in and come down the main staircase that tells you which hall to go to, there are some large pieces of digital art. And then uh, I got a picture of them actually setting up uh, a gallery with a lot more pictures, um, and, and 
a lot of them look really, really good. Uh, I think the, the common theme is that they're all made on a computer so or modified with a computer. So check out the digital art. I think that was cool. Um, something I don't know if I've seen before, Dave, but there were on, on both floors, top and bottom floor, show maps. You, you probably saw those. Very nice. Um, and yeah, you can look. I, I think you have my pictures up there. But there was a show map. So it showed the show floor, what special interests in other areas are around. And also... Um, uh, on the sides, it, it showed, yeah, again, some, some special interest areas. So um, that makes it pretty easy to get around. Um, another thing, you know, is just get the exhibitor list on the Macworld site and then mark off who you want to go to. But but the map is a, is a good thing to complement that. Um, now, here's another thing. I don't know if I've seen this before, Dave, but it was, uh, but yeah, you and I were, were looking at this first looks. And this was a thing they had yeah. some representative products actually, you know, hanging off of a, a board. But then uh, by my count here, and, and I also have a you know picture that gives the detail here, I counted at least 47 products that are debuting uh, at the show here. So if you're looking for something new, you're going to find at least 47 things that are new. And uh, you'll, you'll see the pictures and you can see the vendors that are offering them. Um, then I also caught another banner, so another you know thing to look forward to. Developer Pavilion is another thing they're going to have, and I counted at least 22 companies on the Developer Pavilion list. So, uh, and there are probably more special interest areas, but those are a few that uh, that I came across and noticed. And um, oh, and yes, when you're leaving the place, the uh, the tagline here um, inviting you to uh, MacWorld Expo 2010 is the start of a new era. And I could not agree with that more. <laughs> yeah. Because it will be a start of a new era without certain people attending the show. Yeah, it, it'll be interesting. You know, uh, let, let's talk about that a little bit because we haven't really uh, addressed it and, and we probably will address it uh, in a little more depth on, on Thursday, I would imagine, after we've sort of experienced uh, more of the show this week and, and maybe even next week when you know we're back in our uh, respective offices and homes. But uh, yeah, I'm you know I'm excited about what's going on here, and I, I think that there's a IDG certainly has the opportunity to make things uh, work very well next year. But but they they need to make some changes, and they're aware of that. So it, it'll be interesting to uh, yeah to see, to see what happens. Uh, I, I'm assuming John, you saw the letter that Steve Jobs wrote uh, the the public letter that he wrote this morning. Oh yeah, um, yeah. I think Jeff uh, or but but basically yeah. Well, uh, you know, Mac Observer, along with a lot of other sites, uh, reported on this where, yeah, Steve, I think, uh, well, as you and I touched on on an earlier show, as soon as you hear that Steve's not going to be there, the rumor mill, I mean, and you and I said this, and I think we weren't the only ones, there were concerns about Steve's health. Right. Um, and I would also say that the investor community, well, you know, I'm kind of torn over this because the thing is, you know, Steve does a lot of good things, but he... The company, well, I don't know. The company did have a rough time functioning without him, okay? I'll say that. When Steve has been running the company, they've been prosperous. When he hasn't, they haven't always done so well. Um, but I'm convinced, uh, you know, looking at the things he's doing, he is setting up, you know, people like Johnny Ive and, and Phil Schiller and all that. He's, he's setting the stage just like Bill Gates to kind of step aside and let other people take yep. over. So, um, but, but basically, yeah, he had a letter that, that uh, you know, told people... I have a condition. I guess it has to do with hormones and protein, uh, or you know, it's it's depleting his body of protein and stuff, he, and that's why. Yeah, he, he's got a, a hormonal imbalance that uh, is causing his body not to absorb proteins properly, or or 
uh, essentially that's, that's causing him to lose weight and he's back in business. I mean, they, they're, you know, they've fixed it and now he's in theory putting weight back on. So I, I wish him all the best. I mean, I, you know, I, I wouldn't wish that issue on anyone. I'm glad they finally figured out what's going on. And, you know, so yeah. on we go. Um, should we, uh, first, uh, yeah, you, you, yeah okay. All right. Um, so I had I had a couple of interesting things with my travels. Uh, for the first time this uh, this trip, this was the first time I ever rented a movie from the iTunes store, John. And I decided, okay, well, you know, I've got a long plane ride. As it turns out, it was a very long plane ride. I had six and a half hours in the air. And I figured, okay, well, that's a great time to watch a movie. And I wasn't sure, you know, do I want to watch it on the iPhone or the iPod or even just on my Mac? And I thought, well, you know, it's a rented movie. I can, you know, watch it on any of the three. <laughs> uh, you've done this before. You're laughing. Right. So I just laugh because of the number of times I, I just laugh because of the number of times I've seen iTunes kind of get a little upset when it sees you doing things it may well, suspect it, are not legitimate. Well, but it's totally legitimate. And they even say, yeah, if you start watching a movie in one place, you can then, you know, resume watching it somewhere else and it'll remember and it'll pick up from the same point. And I thought, okay, that's awesome. This is great. And, you know, when you rent a movie, you have 30 days to start watching it and then 24 hours to finish it once you do. And that's, you know, it is what it is. So, okay. And I thought, well, that's fine. You know, and I plugged in my iPhone and I wanted to make sure that it was syncing uh, the movies to my iPhone because I don't sync everything to my iPhone. And I go in and I see rental movies listed under the movies tab hmm. and it shows the location of the movie and I have the opportunity not to copy it to my iPhone but to move it to my iPhone. And then at that point, it will only be on my iPhone, will not be on my computer and there's a note there that says you must be connected to the internet to move movies from one device to another. I'm thinking, well, if I'm in, an, in the air... Uh, I don't have internet. I didn't have internet on the plane that I was on. There are very few planes in the sky that have internet these days. And I thought, oh, so I need to make this decision before I leave my house, what device I'm going to use to watch this, this movie. I thought, you know, I, I wanted to have the flexibility if I, you know, decided oh, I've been playing games on my iPhone or doing something and the battery's depleted, uh, you know, maybe I'll watch on the, on the computer. So I said, well, all right, first things first, I went on my Mac and I made a copy of the movie file. Because I wanted to have the movie on my Mac because it was going to delete it off of there when I copied it to the iPhone. And then I copied it to the iPhone and I watched the movie on the iPhone and it worked fine. And uh, I, I use a Mophie juice pack. So the battery life was not an issue. And really, it, it worked out great. But then I had to see, you know, can I now watch until I sync my iPhone back to my Mac? My Mac has no way of knowing that I've started watching this movie. But of course, I started I tried to play it on my Mac and my Mac said, uh, this device is not authorized to play this file because it's currently authorized to play on another device. And of course I couldn't copy it back because I'd already played the movie and it expired. And, it, and, and the point here is, you know, um, I wasn't trying to do anything wrong. I had no intention of doing anything wrong. I had no intention of trying to see if it was possible for me to do something wrong up until the point at which Apple treated me as though I were going to be a thief. And I, I'll say Apple, I'm going to, I'll extend that out. iTunes treated me as though I were going to be a thief. You have to put this in one device or, or the other. And as soon as you treated me like I was going to be a thief, well, then 
okay, now I'm going to see how can I get around this? And I tried a lot of different ways and, and they, they're, they've got it locked down pretty well. So, uh, but it just, you know, it just bothers me. It's like, wait a minute, I, I wasn't trying to do anything wrong. Why are you treating me like I am? And why are you assuming right out of the gate that, uh, that I'm going to be a thief? So that's, uh, that's, that's that part of my story, John. Yeah, I guess the thing that, that bothers me about that is, uh, so Apple is probably, the, the system's not bad. As right. far as authorizing computers and attaching DRM to stuff. And for the most part, it's, it's invisible. In this case, it was not. Right. It was very apparent that you had made a decision that you were not prepared to make or you weren't able to connect. Because you should make the life of the, the music and the movie industry easier by, you know, yeah. deciding these things ahead of time. Because it's not like you're a customer or anything that no. is purchasing a product for your convenience. It's to make their life easy. That's right. No, and I don't know. This leads to a, a fish-shaking thing here. Uh, I don't think we should necessarily blame Apple for this. I think we can we can focus on either the MPAA or the RIAA, who are just just don't grok an, a new business model for digital media. It's like guys, just and and yeah. To get back to what I was going to say before, it just aggravates me that there's so much time and energy and resources spent on doing DRM when you could be doing something else much more useful. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it was interesting. Yeah. Now, it's a good thing I went to double check that it had copied to my device because I have my iPod. I have a 160 gig iPod Classic and I in I have everything in my music library, which includes all my movies, synced to this device. So I plug it in. It syncs. When it's done syncing, I know that I have everything on that device. And it's a good thing I went to check because I... I almost walked out the door assuming, yeah, you know, I don't need it on the iPhone. I can watch it on the iPod. I can watch it on the Mac. I don't need it on the phone. I, I assumed it had copied it to the iPod because everything else copies to the iPod. And, of course, it didn't because you have to manage that separately as we discussed. So that's my uh, that's my that's my little story. And, uh, yeah, go ahead, John. Okay. No, I had one thing. So I brought some DVDs with me. So, number one, the battery life isn't quite what I wanted. I, I think maybe next time I, I may want to rip. Now, this is, again, for my convenience. I may want to rip my DVDs to my hard drive because I, I think you're taking less energy to run the hard drive or a RAM disk than you do a DVD drive. Yeah. I, I think that's a safe assumption. So if I pre-ripped beforehand and copied it over and had enough disk space, it would be a, a better experience. But um, this is where our friend Smart Sleep came in because I was watching and all of a sudden it came up with a warning and I wanted to watch every last second. As soon as it got to where the battery was almost depleted, it did the Smart Sleep thing. Because at first I was like, well, I can't just pull the battery out because the computer's going to lose it. So it, it, it worked out. So smart sleep kicked in. It went into hibernate mode, pulled out the old battery, put in the new battery, it restored where it was before, and that was great. The only thing that was disappointment was the battery didn't last. I don't know if I got maybe an hour and a half out of each battery. Wow. That's not very well, good. Well, again, if it's running the DVD drive the whole yeah. time. Now, I think for a while yeah. I had my Wi-Fi on and I forgot. So that, that, oh, that, that could crash the plane. What? Having your Wi-Fi on. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Our first sponsor for this show is Smile on My Mac. Of course, at smileonmymac.com. And this week in booth 407 in the South Hall here at Macworld Expo. Uh, they are featuring the latest release of PDF Pen, their uh, PDF markup and editing and organization utility 
version 4.0.3, as well as disk label and text expander. Uh, PDF Pen is also, John, going to be featured on the Modbook, which is the um, Axiotron device that, that is sort of a tablet, the Mac, um, you know, an aftermarket third-party Mac tablet sort of thing. And uh, that's in booth 502, also in the South Hall. They are promoting the Mac Switcher bundle here at the show. It's a collection aimed at new Mac users. It's got text expander, one password, which, and a series of screencasts online videos specially selected to help new users get started. It's $49.95, and it's available at macswitcherbundle.com. So uh, you can check out all this stuff at Smiles Booth, which is booth 407 in the South Hall. And if you are not here, you can check it out, of course, at smileonmymac.com, macswitcherbundle.com, and... Even if you're not at the show, they're offering 20% show special off their, all their software to uh, Mac Geek Gab listeners. And there's a special page, and I'm told it would have been created by now, so I'm hoping that it was because I didn't test it before we did the show. It's smileonmymac.com slash MWGeek. So that would be Mac World Geek. And that's Smile on My Mac. Thank you very much. That's... Uh uh, okay, so I want to I want to tell a little story. You, you talked about getting to the hotel and seeing people sharing their connections. Well, when Greg Snyder checked in, John, he went to his room, sat down, opened up his computer before he unpacked, and had really crummy Wi-Fi signal. It just you know his room just that, that particular room didn't didn't have it for where he was setting up his MacBook Pro. And what he did, uh, he could have he didn't realize this he could have called the front desk the front desk actually knows where all the access points are in the hotel and I was even able to request a room there's an access point literally right outside my door here but you know he didn't know if the hotel knew that and that's probably a safe assumption that they might not uh, but here at the Milano they do but so he took his laptop and just started walking different floors he took the elevator up and down he walked around and he discerned he was up on the eighth floor and uh, he discerned that the seventh floor seemed to have a much stronger signal than the eighth floor did. And sure enough, that's where a lot of access points in the Milano are. They're, they're on seven and actually on four. And, uh, and, and so it's a really good idea. Yeah. And uh, I think he did. I think he used, and I see, John, you're writing down iStumbler. He used iStumbler to see where he could see the most access points and, uh, and the most uh, signal. You know, the best signal. Right. Yeah. No, iStumbler is awesome for that stuff. It's great. So uh, you got something? Uh, right, a little something, yeah. just a follow-up that yeah. we have from an older show. Um, so we've been talking about certificates, and there's some news for those oh. of you that are in security circles and, and know about certificates that uh, I guess I want to say don't panic to people. So here's what happened. Someone figured out using a brute force attack a way to forge a certificate to make it appear or basically make it so that nothing happens if you connect to a you know, HTTPS site with one of these forged certificates, your browser will think it's legitimate. Um, to dig a little bit into the, what these guys did, so my understanding, um, I think it was a group in Germany, or was it a show in Germany, they actually used uh, a whole cluster of PS3s, which as you probably know, uh, PlayStation 3s have a pretty powerful processor. This processor, uh, uh, it's I forget a, that. It, it'll it's a power PC, isn't it? Um, or is it a power PC? I don't know. I, I thought it was a cell processor. You, you keep talking. I'll find out. You'll find out. Um, but anyways, what these guys did is that they were able to take advantage of something um, that's known as an MD5 uh, collision attack. What's MD5? MD5, uh, we're not going to go into a big lesson here, but basically um, 
Cell processor. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, uh, MD5 is a way to sign a certificate, and it's a pretty old and weak algorithm. In that, what's supposed to happen with these algorithms um, that do hashing or signatures is that you're not supposed to be able to guess. So, say I give you a bunch of numbers, Dave. You, you'll run this algorithm and give me, you know, maybe a single digit. What should not happen is that you're able to anticipate what that is. It, for all sakes and purposes, is random. So if I give you another bunch of numbers and, and they're off by one, the signature will not be off by one. It'll be off by whatever. So, so it's an unpredictable kind of random function. Okay. The thing is, is that if you can figure out, and I guess what these guys is basically brute forced a way to predict um, how to generate a need, a, a, a signature that is valid. Whoa. We'll link to an article that, that talks about this. Now, now the, the reason that you probably shouldn't be very concerned about this is that MD5, and I looked through some of my certificates, so I'm going to, I'll stand behind this for a bit here, but a lot of people are moving on and not using MD5. It's actually discouraged for, for quite a while. A lot of people knew there were weaknesses. The, the preferred one is SHA-1, and if you look in, which is secure hash algorithm dash one, and even that one is getting a bit dated. I think they're moving to SHA-2 or what's coming afterwards. So I guess the only thing is that if, you, if you're connecting to a site and you suspect that it's not legitimate, double-click on the lock, look at the cert. If you see that it's an MD5 signature, I would say there's a greater chance of it being a forged certificate than signed with a, with a SHA-1. So we'll link to an article about this. I, I really skimmed over it very quickly about what happened, but I just thought it was timely because we've been talking a lot about certificates and security as of late. And uh and also, it's just amazing that you can get a bank of relatively inexpensive computers like this. Uh, I, I, I think it was under 100, and these guys were able to, to perform these computations that before this would have, would have taken you know, years or centuries. Okay, uh, th- th- yeah, th- this is fascinating. I have a question. If someone takes that and, and goes and looks into their certificate and sees that it's signed with an MD5 hash, how likely is it that they're you, they're they're seeing something that's using a forged certificate? I mean, it, it, is there any way to to kind of go one step further and say, all right, is this truly a forged cert, or or is it fine and they just happen to be using an MD five hash and and we don't know? Well, the problem is you don't know because the the, the these guys have figured a way to make it appear to be one of the uh, certificate authorities that are already in your, your keychain. So they found a weakness in one of those and were, were able to make it appear that a certificate was generated by one of these certificate authorities when in fact it was not. Okay, okay. So but- you could also look at the particular CA because I, I, I forget the exact one that they, that they were able to, I don't think it was all of them, I think they picked on a certain one. So we'll, we'll go to an article about this which goes into more detail um, about what these guys pulled off. Okay. Um, but, but I've also seen a lot of articles from a lot of big industry players that are saying, you know, this, it, it's not the end of the world. It's not like HTTPS and certificates are all of a sudden useless because somebody pulled this off. It's, it's a certain type of hash algorithm, again, MD5, and a certain CA that, uh, that this could apply to. Uh, okay, so, it, but it's still, even though they've, they've found a way to forge the fact that the certificate is... Um, validated or verified, right? Mm-hmm. It, you're still, if I visit, uh, let's say uh, we decided to do this, right? Let's, for, for example, let's say we decided, oh, we don't want to buy our own certificate at Mac Observer. We're going to use a hacked certificate. It, it's still going to be a certificate for MacObserver.com. 
and the cert wouldn't it, you couldn't use a macobserver.com certificate on like backbeatmedia.com it's still going to be linked to the domain it's just that the ver- verification of that certificate never happened by a certificate authority that that's the part that we've 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 hacked or they've hacked right Yes. Okay. Yeah, and that that's a very basic thing. And you know, sometimes people mess that up. I, I think when they issue a certain they or request a certificate, don't quite understand that the name of the site and the name embedded in the certificate should match. Because from what I've seen, pretty much any major browser, if it sees that, oh. there's a few things that it sees. If it sees that the names mismatch, it'll say. Um, by the way, another thing is that every now and then somebody forgets to pay the, the bills, and usually certificates have a lifetime. This one, I would say, if if you've trusted them before, it may just be an oversight. So if it says, uh, you know, the, the, this has expired, but it's otherwise good, then maybe that's okay. Okay. All right. So okay. So it they haven't hacked the 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 mechanism that ensures the URL matches the the URL embedded in the certificate. They've just hacked the mechanism that gets the certificate to that point. Uh, and, and validates it. Is that, that's accurate? Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. Yeah. And I'm hoping, uh, yeah, Scott, you know, help us out here. Maybe. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. No, I'm just trying to get, wrap my head around it. Cool. So I'm sure Scott's, uh, yes, our friend Scott has, uh, yeah, oh, yeah. He's, knows about this. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. He may have done it. I don't know. <laughs> um, all right. Do we want to, do you want to answer some questions here? Should we talk, you know what, we can talk about some cool stuff found that we've had on the, on the list for a while. Um, and so I'm going to navigate here in uh, in Yojimbo because that's what I use to manage the show. And I'm looking for an email from Paco because Paco. We've talked a lot about port forwarding, John. And Paco, uh, sorry, I, I got the wrong name. It's Luis, not Paco. Uh, Luis says, my name is Luis and I'm writing you from Mexico. I switched to the Mac almost three years from, from now and couldn't be happier. In a past show, you talked about torrents, so I wanted to let you know what I had found. I found a neat application called Lighthouse that offers an easy-to-use port mapping GUI for NAT PMP and UPnP routers. Specifically, this app claims to have profiles, either built in or constantly updated, that automatically open the right ports for many apps like iChat or Transmission, the BitTorrent client. It's not free. It costs $13 US. Uh, he says he hasn't personally tried it. Well, I did. I went, I went ahead and downloaded it, and uh, it's actually pretty cool. It installs a little thing that sits in your menu bar. Now, now the idea is if you've got a router, either an a- a Apple Airport base station or a Linksys router or a Belkin router or a D-Link router or any of Netgear, any of those, uh, you may need to program it to work with something like iChat. iChat's often very tricky. Uh, and iChat tries to program the routers itself, but doesn't always succeed. And the same is true for BitTorrent clients and, and some things like that. So it puts a little menulet up there uh, and allows you to apply profiles to your router. And you can see what, uh, what the profiles are doing and also what profiles are already applied to your router. So this is a really cool way of managing uh, all of that stuff that you don't really want to, you don't want to have to go into your router and manually assign and say, okay, forward this port to here. You can do it with NAT PMP or UPnP, which are essentially protocols that allow software to automatically assign those ports regardless of the brand of the router. And, uh, and, and so Lighthouse, uh, Lighthouse kind of takes care of that for you and allows you to manipulate that uh, in a way that I've never really found before. So 
pretty cool. <laughs> I just I say personally, I like to go into the router and oh. set things in, things up because you know it's error prone and you know terrible things can happen. Yeah. No. No. Very cool utility that yeah, the, the UPnP and and the the, the Apple variation. Nat Nat PM Nat P N P M P M P. Yes. They. Yeah, they, they they are supposed to make your life easier. Yeah. Yeah, and it's cool when applications can just do it all by themselves, but but this actually lets you go one step further and you're not relying on the application to have to then go out and do it. You're, you're doing it sort of uh, out of sync. So that's uh, that's a lighthouse from, uh, you know, I'm, actually I'm not sure where they're from. But, mm. uh, we, we've got a link uh, that will be in the show notes. Oh. It's, it's uh, from, uh, yeah, code, code laid, C-O-D-E-L-A-I-D-E dot com. So, uh I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and do our second sponsor, John. Circus Ponies at circusponies.com. They have Notebook. Is that, is that okay? Mm-hmm. Is that right for me to talk about? Okay, good. Uh, notebook is an electronic notebook application. You've heard us talk about it before. We don't have Pilot Pete here to go into all of his details, uh, but I did get to spend some time with Jason Adams uh, last night. And Jason is the uh, founder and I think the chief programmer over there. At, uh, at Circus Ponies. And Notebook's really cool. It allows you to create multiple no- electronic notebooks for various different projects and things that you're working on. So I could, in theory, create one for Mac Geek Gab and just store everything in there. And you can put PDFs in, in your notebooks. You can sketch in your notebooks. You can, if you've got a tablet or if you're willing to do it with a mouse, you can actually draw uh, with, you can write handwriting and it'll OCR that for you. You can mark up PDFs inside notebook and really kind of keep everything all tied together. So it could be, it's a very flexible and valuable tool. And you know, it's interesting, John, Jason was saying last night, and this will get a little bit, uh, you know, out of the sponsorship realm here, but that's okay. Uh, Jason was saying last night, you know, that, that Apple says, well, we have, you know, five Macworlds every day at our Apple stores. And, And he challenges that because he says, look, Apple stores aren't there demoing my product. Sure, they'll sell it, uh, and I think he is on the shelf in, in the Apple stores with Notebook, uh, but the staff there doesn't demo it like Jason and his team can demo it here at Macworld Expo. So, you, you know, you're, you're getting a very limited version of Macworld Expo in every Apple store every day. And, uh, and I know Apple doesn't truly claim, I, I know there's a little bit of exaggeration when they say we get Macworld Expo every day, but, but this is one of the things that you're missing. And so, it, you know, these, these shows are good. And, uh, and uh, you know, I encourage you, if you're here, to go check out all the little guys in addition to the, the big booths. And uh, if you're not here, come next year because uh, John and I'll be here and we want, uh, we want to see everybody. So anyway, that's, uh, that's Notebook from Circus Ponies. It is $49.95 for a standard license. If you purchased version 2 in 2.1 rather in 2008 you get a free upgrade to notebook 3.0 for students it's only it's 10 bucks off it's 39.95 and if you want to buy three licenses you can buy a family pack for 99.95 and uh, actually save yourself 100 bucks uh, sorry 50 bucks uh, so that's notebook from circusponies.com <clears throat> okay and dave you know i think we should mention a, a few things here so one uh, i do believe you and i uh, are both uh, Making some uh, uh, appearances at the uh, the show here, and where the heck is that? Okay, so I mean, I can cover this. So uh, Dave and I are doing two things, um, two podcasts. The first one's going to be Tuesday at four thirty. Is this the right? Bo- this is the right booth, thirty two thirty six North Hall. 
Yeah, pre- I'll, I'll, I'll butt in here. Previously, we had said it was 3036. Uh, even some of the signs here at the expo still say 3036. It's 3236, but trust me, if you get to 3036, you'll see 3236. Mm-hmm. It's a big stage. Or hear it. Right. Or see it. Okay, and then the other one we're going to do is on Thursday at 2.30 p.m., same place. And then if you would like to learn how to run your Mac lean, clean, and mean, well, you know, I suppose you could go to Dave's session, which is going to be on Thursday, 11 a.m., room 2001 in the West Hall. And this is session US 931. And uh, from what I've seen, I think actually the last time you did this, Dave, did they have to, I think they had to set up two of them. Uh, yeah, I think that was, I think it was this one that I had to do it twice in a row. Uh, um, uh, maybe it may, no, it might have been. Ah, there was something else that I did that we had to do. You know, it, it really all does become a blur. It's, it's been interesting, speaking of the blur this week, John, um, I, I got to work on my sleep schedule because I'm straddling the time zones right now. Mm-hmm. In the evening, I'm on Pacific time. And in the morning, I'm on Eastern time. And that's all fine and good. It buys me a lot of hours for a lot of things, mm-hmm. except one, sleep. <laughs> and so I got to figure something out here because uh, – we're going to be in real trouble if I can't get this straightened out. <laughs> uh, we're going to be pretty giddy by the end of the week. Of course, we have Cirque du Mac on, on Wednesday night. And, yep. Uh, can't miss. I, I checked out the club yesterday. It's mm-hmm. looking good. Um, I'm really excited about it. It's a, it, it is definitely bigger than, than uh, we've had before with Red Devil, but uh, I, think we'll, I think we'll have a great time and everybody will rock it out. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I think if you see either, uh, and, and you should know what we look like through our you know, profile pics or... Uh, or close your eyes and wander around. If you hear us speaking, um, either Dave or I may have an extra ticket or two um, to, to come to the event. So, um, you know, if you see us or hear us, um, ask us. The worst that's going to happen is we say no, but we won't say no. Well, we might. <laughs> if we don't have any tickets left, we might say no. Or we may just, you know, scream and yell or something, right? Don't we do that sometimes? Um, yeah. Do we have. Uh, Anything else? We should we should do that other cool thing found here because uh, it's it's sort of it's sort of relevant. Connor Connor wrote in. Let me see if I can find it here. It's tough doing this without paper. Um, Connor writes, "Hey guys, just wanted to let you know one of my favorite Open DNS updater application is called DNS Omatic, and it's at dnsomatic.com. It's a menu bar app that allows you not only to update Open DNS but also other services such as Dyn DNS." He finds it very useful, and since it's in the menu bar, he never has to look at it. Uh, so that's uh, it, what, what this does is instead of just being an application that only updates your IP address for your open DNS networks like we talked about uh, two shows ago, it also updates uh, your, dy- your dynamic DNS records, which are great if you want to run some sort of a server at home or need to connect back to your home network uh, and your IP address is dynamic and it changes. So. Very cool that somebody kind of tied all that together and, and, and all hail open APIs, right? Because if all of these services didn't have open APIs, somebody couldn't do this. So that's a, a very uh, handy little tool. So mm-hmm. thank you, Connor, for, uh, for sending that in. We love, we love the cool stuff found. Excellent. Now, if you could, um, if you could look that up here, but I, I just thought it was, was kind of interesting what you just mentioned, Dave, here. Um, uh, a few years ago, I did some work in um, what we're going to call... Oh, I don't know what we're going to call it here, but you mentioned paper, Dave. And and the interesting thing, I just want to find the name of the folks here that do it. So so there's a book called The Myth of the Paperless Office, and I think for the most part it's still relevant. Um, uh, I think it was some work done at uh, done at MIT. 
But um, no, it's someone else. So okay. Try another one here. Okay. Yeah, this one here. Okay. Yeah. Um, but basically what these guys are saying is that paper has some very unique characteristics. And if anything, what I call it, it's a very nice portable display. Okay, I'm sorry, Richard Harper, and actually I've uh, uh, actually met with him uh, a few years ago. I think we actually had had him in to kind of give us some more detail about this. But it's a very interesting book because paper is not necessarily bad all the time. And going electronic, totally electronic, may be very, very expensive and may make people work in a fashion that they're not used to. Like, for example, one thing that you can very easily do with paper is lay things out and reorganize them for a fraction of the cost of having a super large screen. So I just wanted to mention this because I, I thought it was interesting because at first when I heard you know, their, their claim here that um, you're never going to reach a paperless office, I'm like, well, no, technology just has to march forward a little bit. We have to get bigger screens, faster processors, better scanners, better you know, input devices. I don't think paper's ever going to go away. Because here, I even brought a little piece of paper here with my version of, of the notes. It's, it's a lot easier because we have limited desk real estate here. And it'd just be a pain for me to have my computer next to your computer. So don't, uh, I wouldn't totally dispaper. I think it, uh, it, it does have its uh, purposes. I, oh, I, I like the paper. I, I, I would like uh, to find some way to simply manage to-dos on my iPhone so that I did not have to do those with paper. <laughs> um, and, and perhaps there is an application out there for me. Uh, I know many of you have, have recommended several things, and I'm going to dig into that a little bit after we get back from Macworld Expo. So, uh, I think we're good here, John. We've got, uh, we've got a long week coming up. You, you folks should, in theory, get two more podcasts out of us this mm-hmm. week. Uh, so I think we're going uh, to cut this one where bring the band? I tried. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, but before we bring the band in, oh, well, we are. did bring them in. All right. Well, well, they're here. But, you know, people often ask me, John, how do I get into, how do I submit questions to the podcast? Because people ask me that all the time, Dave, and I think they ask you too. So my answer to them would be one way you could get in touch with us is to call us at 206-666-GEEK, which is... 44335. I can tell by looking at the, the digits on a hotel phone here, John. Mm, yeah. good. <laughs> yeah, so you can also email. Uh, you can email text or audio to feedback at macgeekgab.com. Uh, you can Skype us to macgeekgab. And uh, and and then, of course, our fav- one of our favorite things is... Um, cookies. Oh, yeah. We love cookies. <laughs> love them cookies. Um, iTunes comments. Um, yeah. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't. Well, no, don't tell us what you don't like. Yeah, tell us what you don't like. It's okay. Yeah. It's all good. Cool. Yeah, but anyway, you know, we find them very valuable, um, yeah. and, you know, they help help people find the show. Um, and you know, you know how else they can find us, John? Because this week we're going to be using it a lot. Twitter. Oh. Twitter.com slash John F. Braun to follow John and Twitter.com slash Dave Hamilton mm-hmm. to follow me. You can also follow all the news that's coming out of TMO at Twitter.com slash Mac Observer. And uh, so that's the, there's three feeds for you to, to latch on to and enjoy. I've, I've had, I mean, I think I've added 100 Twitter followers in the last 24 hours here. It's crazy. Yeah, I, get a t- I may turn it off because I get a trickle, I think, because, you know, just... It, it's kind of viral in that, you know, you look at, you know, people look at who other people are following and who follows them and they start adding them or they look at their feed and they'll try them and maybe dump them. Um, but I found it great. Now, also, I have, um, you know, a brand new toy that I brought with me that I'm finding pretty useful so far, assuming you can get Wi-Fi, is that I don't have an iPhone, but I have an iPod Touch. Um, the coverage in the Moscone looked pretty good um, in certain areas. 
Uh, and you know, I'm using uh, is it Twitterific, the the freebie, which uh, I'm I'm pretty darn happy with it. I know everybody has their taste, but that's the one that I like. And, and again, as long as Wi-Fi is available, I found it a fantastic tool to just find out where the people that I'm interested in, you know, the the whole you know Mac journalist crowd and, and other Mac people, where the heck are they? Um, you know, some people are still coming into town because the show really hasn't, you know, kicked into high gear yet. Some people are already here. Um, and I, I think it's a great way to find out what's happening at the show, what's cool, what's not, where are the parties, et cetera, so forth and so on. Cool. Yep. Uh, yeah. All right. So Macworld Expo, of course, is this week. Cashfly at cashfly.com gets all of this data to all of you. They provide all the bandwidth that we use and all the bandwidth that you use to get the show. The podcast marketplace includes the A2 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, BB Edit from Barebones Software, Disc Label and PDF Pen from Smile on My Mac, Notebook from Circus Ponies, and audiblepodcast.com slash macgeekgab. Uh, all through the Backbeat Media Podcast Network. And I think that's it, John. Right? We can get out of here? Um, and go do our rehearsal? Oh, gosh. Rehearse for what? For the keynote tomorrow morning. Nah. we got to get everybody together. You know, it was one funny thing, Dave, is as we were doing our, our pre-rehearsal, as you noticed, I saw outside um, somebody was parked in a no-parking spot, and there was a cop in a tow truck, so you know what happened. I know what happened. He didn't follow our advice. You know what our advice is, John? <clears throat> Don't get caught. May not.